episode 93 of Board Games with Barry and Hex is all about collection curation. I'm Kelly, and in this episode, Adam and I talk about all the things that go into a good value board game. We definitely wanted to talk about this topic, but didn't know quite how to approach it, so we just went for it and threw out games and ideas along the way. We excluded common domain games, so these may not be new, but there's also no chess here. And we have links in the episode description for some of the things that we mentioned. Without further ado, I'll turn it over to myself and Adam talking about best value games. A Chevy. A Toyota. Okay. A Ford. A Bull. Oh, I got it. I got it. We're talking about affordable war games. We're not going to talk about affordable cars, but those are all pretty good. Yeah, there's no Rolls Royce in the mix. No, my Toyota has been incredibly affordable. In any case, we just had the idea, not for any, I can't even remember why, to talk about affordability in games. And we're sort of thinking like a good value for a game, but there's not just one thing that makes it a good value. There's straight up the fewest amount of dollars have left my pocket in order to obtain this game. Then there's also something like durability or maybe the quality of the components themselves so that now that I've decided to buy this game, it's not going to wear out quickly. It's going to last a long time. I'm going to get a lot of replay value out of it and like the components are going to stand up to that. And then there's also kind of like value for a dollar. So maybe it's not the most cheap game, but the things you get in it for how much you paid is really good. And I think we're just having a freewheeling chit chat. Another component I used in my decision making, okay, and this is more of a me thing, I yeah. think, between the two of us, is how easily I can like homebrew it or make changes to it to extend its value over time. Yeah. Because okay. some games lend themselves to that more than others. Right. And so that's kind of a replayability thing where you get to remix it. It's not like it does this exact thing. If you do anything else, it breaks. Exactly. Yep. Right. Okay. Well, you know what? It's not a draft. I was going to say your first pick, but I guess it's still your first pick, even if it's not a draft. I think I found the overall winner of this, in my opinion. Oh, well, I we're think... starting with the overall winner. Absolutely. Yeah. We're not going to tease it at all. We're going to jump right into it. Now, we all know I'm a Yahtzee apologist, day in and day out. Mm-hmm. I am going to say that Yahtzee, bang for buck, okay. best possible game you could ever have. Now, I did have on my uh, list as far as affordability, just rolling right. Now, there are some very expensive ones, but I think in general, you get a lot of replay value out of a rolling right because the kind of premise is that you're going to like roll and see what happens. So there's this built-in replay value. It's not like, oh, I'm going to find this set way to do it. It's like, well, the dice are always going to be random that you're always going to have to react to. So I agree holistically with the category of rolling rights. Is there a reason Yahtzee over anything else? So Yahtzee's going to come in at a very low price point. It's a classic game in that sense. $8.99, I believe when I looked it up, is going to be your standard Yahtzee pricing on this. As far as homebrewing or doing variations on it, limitless what you can do. I love changing up some stuff with Yahtzee. Okay. Start from the top, work your way down. Start from the bottom, work your way up. Oh, like you cover all of the card. You have yeah. to go in order? Correct. Yeah, you have to go in that order. You can do a different number of re-rolls to change things up. Uh, you know, oh. there, there's a lot of fun things you can do. Real small changes. You can play with one other person. You can play with 10 other people. A lot of flexibility there. Right, right. If you lose a die, go buy another die. 
Yeah, you know that's something. I, right. Another pad. Like it's really easy to keep that train moving. I didn't even think about like how easy it is to replace components or find a suitable replacement for Yahtzee. Even if you spill water all over the pad, like you can find, get, print another pad and keep playing the game, and then it's just a standard six-sided die instead of being something more specialized that you would need some kind of reference for or try to order a, a exact replica of whatever the game component was and it's just fun every time you play it i've never not <laughs> had fun winning losing whatever in between and it's such the idea of yahtzee rolls like i know when we're learning other games sometimes they're rolling right sometimes they have it's other like dice worker placement or something like that and you'll describe it as like oh yahtzee rolls meaning yep. well we just played dice hunters of therion and it's yahtzee rolls keep what you want or don't and you have three chances. And I don't know what mathematically, like, is there something mathematically about a six-sided die and being able to roll it three times that, like, means something? But it comes up so often. I don't know if it's just people are used to it and it seems nice or if, like, no, the science has proven this is a thing. There are some incredible websites about the statistics of Yahtzee rerolling on this. Okay. I don't know that it's the best or not. Mm. And honestly, the science got away from me pretty fast. Yeah. Not a, a scholar in this way. And they are. But they were talking about the actual odds of getting all the different options based on all the different initial roles and things. So there does seem to be some smartness behind it. I don't think they use that word, but that's what I'm going to say. That is, I mean, good. And I guess to some extent, that's what you should expect from math. Like a lot of the, a lot of the people that you see making tons of games are like math majors, doctorates in math because that's like fundamental to balancing it and kind of creating a game, making the choices interesting is the way the statistics on how they present themselves. But yeah, I also know nothing about that. I did not have any kind of scholarly bend to my picks, but the first one that I am going to say, and this is straight up like it's cheap is the crew. And I think really either one of them. Now the quest for planet nine right now on the geek market on board game geek, you can get a new copy from someone who will ship worldwide. Who knows for how much for $7, but they're in the U S. So I imagine if the you're also in the U S that is a steal. And it's new. I bet you could even find used copies, be they online or who the heck knows where. So yeah. And it's like a, trick-taking card game and i think a lot of you could say that a great value is a deck of cards we're talking about board games though like kind of a published board game oh i don't know adam's laughing in a way that maybe he was going to eventually say a deck of cards it's in the corner i didn't know if i was going to say it or not but you're right (laughs) in the corner of the page (laughs) it's there it's there hovering yeah i wasn't going to go with i was going to go with actual board games meaning not a deck of cards not like a a tumbling brick tower or kind of unlicensed. Oh man, I might be hitting a lot of things. Okay. Or like even like dominoes. I wasn't going to go with something like a little more public domain. I think because you can find Mancala. uh, I think you can find those things really cheap and they are a good value, but I don't think that's surprising anyone. But yes, I was going more with modern board games for, for picks on this. I think you won't have trouble finding those other options on, on your own okay so the crew i don't really have much else to say about it it's neat if you if you like 
a deck of cards kind of games through. There's also the Fox in the Forest was kind of another consideration. That's a two-player trick-taking game. There are some other small card games that have been made lately that I think are really good value. The crew kind of comes with this 50 game, like a campaign. You don't have to necessarily play it in order. The second uh, crew, Crew Mission Deep Sea, is even more built for you to not play it in order and kind of play it how you want, in my opinion anyway. So if you think a lot of games that you buy, you might play them 10 times and really that would be a lot of times, a lot of plays of that game. Something like the crew, you could easily play it 50 times to go through the campaign and play it hundreds more times. So in addition to it being very cheap, you could also get a lot of replay value out of it. And it's a nice kind of everybody just sitting around a table spending an evening. It's not that it isn't, it definitely gets difficult, but being a cooperative game, I think as well, uh, just puts a different kind of spirit on your, uh, at the table uh, on your game than something that's competitive that you're playing for hours and hours on end. Yeah, it's a great pick. It was not on my list. I don't know why. I have no good reason. Oh, uh, well, but it's on yours. I got it on my list. Not a problem. So what is your next pick? We all know I like a party game. I like to talk yes. about party games I have on this none podcast. On my list. Of course, I have to have a party <laughs> game on here. And I thought about this for a while. And it's not the least expensive party game by any means. Mm. But I picked Wavelength as the best bang for your buck for a party game. The reason for that good. being okay. is because so most party games have a two variable component. You have the people involved as one variable and then whatever the item is, right? Usually the cards, right? The oh, cards yeah, will be different yeah. uh-huh. and the people will be different. Now for wavelength, you're getting three variables, the people, the cards, and the scale, right. which are that it spins yeah. around there. So I yes. feel like that third variable is where you need to get that extra bang for your buck with this. Like that's huge as far as replayability, because you could have the same two people playing the exact same card, different scale, it's a different game. Yes, yes. Unlike something like Taboo, where... The words they can and cannot say. I guess, you know, you have to get very abstract. Say something like their vocabularies are different, but the cards are the same. You don't have this other layer that you're putting on it. Correct. And I think it's really unique in that way. I think it's why I talk about it a lot. And I had to think about why. And I think that's why. Mm -hmm, It's got just mm -hmm. enough different things going on. But you don't feel it. It doesn't ever feel overwhelming when you're playing it. No. Either with that third variable. So for that reason, coming in at $40 MSRP, Put another 5 to $10 on that. It's still worth your money. That's what I would say there. So nice. I would uh, definitely pay whatever for Wavelength. It's a blast. And if you have a cell phone and are disinterested in, I guess, accumulating board game boxes, you can get the Wavelength app. And I think it has a certain amount of cards on there for free. And you kind of join. Everyone can be on their phones and kind of join together. Use the little dial and everything. I think it maybe even works remotely. And then you can also buy additional card packs. So it can be a good way to try it if you're like, this sounds interesting, but I don't know, or I'm not trying to spend money on something I haven't played before, which is reasonable. You can try it on there and then go for the full game. I will say how that big dial works, it is very nice for a party game. It feels a little game show-like. Something about the presentation, the way it sits in the box, the quality of it, the reveal when you like pull back the... uh, because it kind of has a screen over it where when everyone's discussing and then you kind of reveal where the uh, where the position of the point scoring wedge is. So still fully recommend the actual retail game, but just a caveat that that app is there for you too if you want to wade in a little bit first and try it out. Oh, that's awesome. I didn't know there was an app at all for it. So that's really oh, cool. 
we should try that. Uh, so yeah. my next pick, and this is more, I don't know that it's necessarily in print anymore, and it was suspiciously cheap for quite some time, is Dice Forge. Mm. So that one I'm going on, what you get, I think that was among the first games that we bought where when you open the box, it has like a custom, like a plastic like vacuum formed probably. I don't know how they make those. It fills the whole box and it neatly arranges all the things you need. And in that game, there are so many little pieces. I feel like it would be sort of untenable to play without that kind of system in place. If you get the mm -hmm. expansion, it matches height with the standard board game box and you set it on the end because you kind of use the box itself to display all these little tiles that you can add to your dice. Because the idea of Dice Forge is you have a dice with six sides, but they go on like Lego pieces. So you can change the sides and change what you end up rolling. So you have, it's a four player game. You have those two of those Lego dice for each person. So there's eight of those. There's two kind of sets of cards that come with it. So you can change the cards that are available in the game as you play. All of the components that come with it are, are very nice. There are some cardboard pieces, but your player board is like cut out and you use these little cubes to count your the different amounts of things that you have. I think that everything you get in there, if that game was, I've, I have bought $60 games where that was the quality. And this one you could find consistently for under $40. I see some like new, maybe new you can find for $30, $35, but it looks like overall for the brand new ones, the price is starting to go back up again. And I think that maybe it's not in print anymore. So there's still some existing mm. copies. I'm not positive about that, but I always felt like how nice that insert was, was a crazy yeah. good value. And usually when you buy games at that price point, not always, but a lot of them at that price point, just don't have as nice of components or don't have it planned so nice to work with the gameplay. Not a super cheap game, but for what you get in it is so unique and so fun and really well made. That's a really good pick. Yeah, you're right. Every part of that game shows like good craftsmanship yeah. of and thought behind it. Never was it just, just throw that in there yeah. in an empty space. Very fun one. And now you can try that one on Board Game Arena before you play it but know that when you get the box everything like how does all this work beautifully it all works beautifully <laughs> it's very surprising and impressive that's a good it's a great pick yeah one of the bigger games on my list newton i okay. think for a big game okay as far as just the quality of game that's made the pieces aren't actually that exciting not like dice forge it's but a lot I think cardboard. for the game yeah. itself and how complex it is but how fun it is to want to play a $50 game over and over and over again, that to me is my pick on that. So in that higher okay. category, I don't always want to play those huge, sprawling, you know, th two, three-hour games yeah. often. But that one I do. I don't think I've ever not wanted to play Newton or at least put it in the mix of conversation when we pick games. And how, how much is Newton? I, because they just came out with another edition, I think, that puts an expansion in it. 50 MSRP. Weirdly, there's a sale right now. Uh, Noble Knights Online, $17 for like a very good copy. So I don't know. That's pretty good. I wonder if that's that first edition. Because one of the things that as Adam and I were looking at games, and we're thinking about the ones that we've already owned and played that we feel like are good value. Sometimes when you go to look for it again, you see that like the price is skyrocketed. And that's 
or it's bottomed out. And I think yep. usually it skyrockets when it's out of print and now like the number of copies is no longer meeting the demand for the game maybe. And then it can bottom out when a new edition comes out. And a lot of times those new editions, like I said, I think for Newton, the new one puts an expansion in it. Then right, when okay. the new editions come, they might come with more content and not be that much more expensive. So then like everyone's selling, people who love the game are selling their original copies. So maybe you can get one super cheap used retailers that still have the old first edition it might not really be that good of a value every once in a while people prefer the first edition and then once again those prices skyrocket because people don't like the new one they're printing they want to get the old printed one well i've not played the new one but the original one top notch big fan i i was thinking like what would my pick like that be I don't think for me it's Newton. I like Corrosion quite a bit, and I searched for it real quick. Someone is selling it for $20 today. It's a used copy on the geek market. And I think I would say do that. It looks like Amazon 36 because I think you could find okay. it 40 to 60 otherwise new. It looks like there are some cheap ones out there. I think that one, it has, it's all, it's still all cardboard. And that's part of the value. I think there were special edition ones that had more like metal pieces. But the basic edition is all cardboard. But I think that's m maybe my pick for a Euro-y kind of uh, game. I don't dislike Newton, though. It's usually just once I'm playing it, it's great. But when I'm setting it up, I'm like, oh, this is a lot of things. Because you have like, there's the main board. It's like, oh, you're going to go travel. And then there's the other little board. But it's like, but you still have to study things. And then you have your own board too. It's like, but there's also things to put in these drawers. And what about all your cards? You say it differently than I do. Because it's like, oh, I get to go travel. But I also get to do this. <laughs> right. And guess what? I get to do this too. I'm looking at it like a schedule that's just filling up. Like, oh, when am I going to do my research? I got to go. Oh, the other side of Europe today. Yeah. <laughs> so my next pick... This one has had many different editions. And in my head, I was thinking of the most recent edition called Royal Visit. The older edition is called Times Square. There's an even older German edition. And basically, as you go backwards in editions, the theming of it just gets sketchier. But for the Royal Visit version, it's a two-player only game. And you're trying to you're trying to influence the king to come down to your castle at your end of the board. And the other person is trying to do the same thing. So it's a bit of a tug of war. And you're playing these cards to move the pawns along this uh, game board. And what I like about this one is it looks like you can find copies of it probably for about $20. You can still find the older copies that are called Times Square. And it's sort of like what, why you're doing it in the theme changes. But the game itself, I don't know, really has any changes from edition to edition. What I like about the current one, though, the artwork is great. It comes in a kind of standard two-player small square box. You'll see that same size a lot. The game board is like a little tapestry that rolls out. The pieces that are on that game board to move back and forth are these chunky wooden pieces that have like, uh, that are printed on them. I forget what they call that kind of print. There's a few other like kind of chunky wood tokens for some of the other, some of the other game components. You know, cardboard is great. And it's given us great euros like we were just talking about that have all these different interactions and things going on. But if it gets super hot, if it gets super cold over time, your cardboard, one of the things that I'm not thrilled about as I have a board game collection where I've 
now starting to have some age, some games that I've had for a while, some of those boards start to get warped because of whatever reason, whether you have the little silica packets in there or not, like they don't all stay flat and true. And that's kind of annoying. Of course, just over time, this person may have spilt something on the corner of that. Like things just happen to age cardboard because it's, you know, it is just paper. Games like Royal Visit, all of those components, they almost remind you more of like toddler games where everything feels very chunky and indestructible. You do have a sense, one, rolling out a tapestry and with the theme, it does feel a bit regal, but it also feels a little more durable, a little longer lasting. And that's where... I have now gotten some like collector's edition, limited edition board games. By some, I mean probably too many. They're often nowhere on the chart of affordability. But when you get into the durability side of it, they will use thicker cardboard, which then warps less. They're more likely to replace the cardboard components with either plastic or metal or wood. Different kind of sustainability uh, opinions on those different options. I think if you do have a big, big game like that, that you love playing, the affordability of something like a collector's edition can be pretty good when you consider a cardboard game that kind of wears down. Now you can put your cards in sleeves. You can now get this stuff for cardboard. I guess you always probably could have like, I don't know, epoxied it or at least Mod podged it. But now there's this special stuff for board games that you can get in a little jar and it like waterproofs your cardboard. So things like that may also help it not warp because maybe it's not taking in and releasing moisture in weird ways throughout the year. I know people say if you're in a super humid environment versus other, you know, kind of environments, you may actually have to do different things to your board games to try to keep them in decent condition. And I think that becomes a struggle against affordability if like you're fighting the natural degradation process, just the natural like entropy of things decaying when you're trying to keep playing your game. So that's both Royal Visit for having those chunky components. A lot of kids' games will have chunkier components as well. And sort of that thought of some of the affordability for a game that's more expensive comes back because it doesn't, you don't find yourself replacing it and buying a new copy because this or that happened or this or that fell apart where it's not as usable as it once was. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, Royal Visit is the part. The pieces are amazing. I never really yeah. thought about it as a Melissa and Doug presents <laughs> Royal Visit, but that is kind of what it seems like. That so. is exactly it. And like I've gotten some of those chunky wood toys for my niece and nephew, and it kind of feels like I don't know why we made everything plastic. Like I do, it's cheap, and right. you can just you can put it, make it any color, make it any shape. But like, gosh, those chunky wood pieces are great. I like it. I like them for the kids. I like them in my board games. Yeah, that's uh, no, that's a really good pick. No, no argument against the components there for sure. Yeah. So in the category of replayability, will be my next pick. Okay. You know what can you play over and over again? Mm-hmm. We've talked about this. Yeah. I have to pick Seven Wonders Duel. Oh. At the price point of thirty dollars, and I've now I've played most of it on board game uh-huh. board arena, game arena yeah venue, venue but. Nevertheless, I mean, I played it over a hundred times on there. I'll still go back and play it some more. So it's not like I was done after that. Yeah. I have played it in real life as well. I mean, I have the real game Mm -hmm, at that point. mm -hmm. So if you think about it at a price point like that, at $30 plus the, what, $7 membership fee for Board Game Arena at $37, I'm at 30 cents a play. Right, right. And yeah, that, 
that play per cost per play statistic, it's something that if you use BG Stats app to log your plays, if you're into retaining that kind of data, they inherently, if you put how much you paid for a game when you add it to your collection and that it was your copy, it'll give you the cost per play and it'll break it down both like, I think, for the number of times the game was played and then also the number of players. There's now a little challenge in there where you can have like a cost per play challenge where you can add games to it and kind of say like, oh, I bought this really expensive game. I want to get it down to $5 per play, $2, $1.50, whatever it might be. So there's now right. a challenge where you can aim specifically towards that. But as you were saying, if you already have the price of the games you bought in there, you can look up that stat to see how affordable. It's a different way to look at the affordability of a game because there may be something that was $30, $20 that you played one time. There could be something that was... 60 70 dollars and you've you could think of it by hour maybe you've spent you know 40 hours with that game it becomes a lot more affordable than a 30 dollar game that you spent one hour with exactly yeah yeah i think that game i think is the game that's the best cost per for you to play for you to say this and i know you've played that a lot what about splendor i don't feel like i've played I feel like I'm not turning over Splendor as fast. Splendor is slow on Board Game Arena. And it's right. slower in real life. Yeah. What? I don't know that I'm playing... Even if I played it as much... Well, you know, maybe. Okay. But then I play, if I'm taking longer to play it and I played it as much, then it would be the better cost per... It's tricky. That's it does get tricky. That's why you have to get the app to tell you. I, I certainly don't know. But I know it's just another... I, I know that historically that's another game that you've played a lot of. I have. I played that one more spread out across different oh, mm-hmm. venues. Right. Where... This was more concentrated. I just don't know. Yeah. just don't know the data. Right, right, right. Yeah. I think either way, the both of them a good value. Now, the components for Seven Wonders Duel aren't like anything to get too excited about. I don't no, think. online they're great because they never get damaged. <laughs> this <But>. is true. <laughs> this is true. As long as you have that internet connection, then it's right. fine. Yeah, the components for Splendor are probably a little. You have those resources you have to use, and they're basically poker chips. So instead they're a lot of better, that's true. Yeah, component wise, it's and it could have been if you, if you have the play mat with it. Oh, oh I mean, I don't have the play mat years to find it so i'm gonna brag about it when i I can (laughs) yeah for it to all be gems a lot of other games would have like you know those little acrylic gems that you see that like a regular size and i think that is nice for like immersion like you feel like you're getting actual little gems and i'm can be a pretty uh vain when it comes to like oh it's so pretty i like it more it's more valuable but the practicality of being able to stack your components Mm -hmm. and easily and exchange them back and forth easily is like it's far more sensible and probably far more durable overall it's easier to just like store and pack and use they're not kind of rolling away from you ever so yeah that's a good point and even like the nobles are on pretty thick oh yeah yeah thicker card stock there as well i mean the actual cards themselves i think are just cards but yeah i don't think they're anything special but yeah i think those and you don't really handle the cards a lot. You're not like holding them in your hands. That's a good point. They're yeah. usually just sitting on the You're table. You're handling the chips, which are the most durable. You know what? You're making yeah. a good point. Like I, th- I guess my next pick is Splendor. I'll pick Splendor. <laughs> um, so. I think they made a good point. With it. And the same is true for Seven Seven Wonders Duel. You're not holding the cards a lot for that either. So. Yeah, you're just shifting them. Mm-hmm. I feel like compo- card component quality, it, it varies. If I'm going to be holding it in my hands the whole time, 
I just know that people like to shuffle cards in their hands and things like that. They'll just wear down quicker if they're not like a little better. But, oh, yeah. Or they'll eat a sandwich with jelly or something, right? <laughs> they'll just do something to ruin yeah. it. Yeah. My picks. Now, I'm kind of putting these together as something. I don't even know which category they best fit in. But I thought about both Azul and Parks. And I think it is a bit of a durability thing. Azul has a very similar... We were just talking about Splendor and how those components are. The tiles for Azul are pretty similar. They're a similar kind of heavier plastic. They make also a a lovely sound. It comes in a cloth bag that you draw everything out of. So there's some durability there. Fair amount of replayability. They give you two sides on the main like player boards that you use, and then they're unlikely to get too scratched up because you're just placing plastic tiles on them. And they're a good thickness. Box has a nice insert, all of that. And then with parks, I was thinking maybe a little bit as a representative for again, I already said I was kind of a vain gamer, really pretty games, and then also things like I'm talking a lot about how the games end up getting stored. A lot of Euro games, especially you'll just end up putting it in a bunch of plastic bags and there's really nothing right. wrong with that. Like there's not, then you can, you know, get shake your box anyway and it's not going to come out. But I think there is something that helps about like things like game trays, which comes in a, comes in parks. Those have been getting more popular, but parks is a game where kind of standard. It just comes with that game tray where you take it out, open it up. Everything's perfectly organized and ready to play. There's some value to my time there that it just kind of presents itself as ready to play. And I think a little bit of durability that it's being kept in those instead of kind of loosen the bags, shaking around more. Then you're kind of replacing those bags as they get shoddy or if they're getting hot, if they're kind of getting hot and cold. I don't know. I don't think that actually matters. I don't think the temperature matters. But there's something about really the value of very beautiful games, at least for me, and the artwork that's in. Azul, there's not really extra artwork, but Parks has wonderful artwork throughout it. And I think that paying for something that isn't just kind of slapdash artwork, just pure mechanics, while there are still good mechanics, a little bit of a value there. But again, I don't really know how to classify that, but I look at Parks and think like, the game seems a little expensive for what it is, but then when you pull everything out like on your table, it it feels like a, a decoration in a sense. Like it looks so nice. There's a lot of other games that don't necessarily look very nice on your table. They aren't necessarily inviting to other people. I think that something like Parks is very inviting to other people because even if they're not interested in the game, it's nice for them to come look at it and look at all the artwork there. So something I want to say about a value for a game that is aesthetically pleasing. I don't know that that extends to a bad game that is aesthetically pleasing. Sure. I think this makes a lot of sense that you're coming from that place. Uh, If I can quote your mother, I'll never forget what she said. uh, When you surround yourself with beautiful things, you have a beautiful life. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's kind of rooted in all what you're saying right here. Right, right. If I'm going to be at a game table for hours playing something, it does help if it's beautiful. Yeah. And there I think is it's very reasonable. That's there's a value to there. come from. And your game boxes, some people, you probably put them in a closet, but you very often see people put them on shelves out like you would books. So having things that you like looking at, some value to it. I want to think, now I'm thinking, what is the most beautiful, cheapest game that I have? And that's going to that's gonna take some time. That's probably. Would it gonna... be? No. I'm going to say Hanabi. I bet it's pretty inexpensive and it's. 
fireworks. It is fireworks. I don't know if I could say that's the most beautiful. Parks is pretty. Parks is pretty close. Arboretum isn't isn't too expensive, is it? And that's a pretty game. I bought an expensive version of Arboretum. Oh, Again, okay. we're sensing Sorry. a theme. I got the one in the collector's box. I thought, oh, it's in a wood box or whatever. And I mostly regret it, but now I have it and it seems silly to sell it just to rebuy a different version. Right. Well, you actually bought land and are planting the trees. You're actually going to have well, a life-size scale and, of Arboretum. And Arboretum. Yes. Sure. Right. It takes time. I think maybe collectively what I would say are the best-looking, cheapest games is the Calico Cascadia Verdant series from AEG and Flat Out Games. Those yeah, might be, that, those are good. and they all, I would say the same thing for component quality is pretty good. Verdant, I'm trying to remember, is there anything, Calico has the dual layer boards, and I think it has a cloth bag. Cascadia has wooden tiles, also has a cloth bag, and I think pretty chunky tiles at that. And I'm trying to remember, Verdant has cards, and I can't remember what else is in that one off the top of my head. But those are three that would be you know appropriate wall art as well i think those you know what let's just throw those in unfortunately parks i'm pushing out it is a little more expensive i do like the idea of that game tray but we're gonna take that trio as aesthetically pleasing not only because the i think beth sobel art for all of them yeah did i just pick beth sobel i don't know i don't know but all the boxes are also the exact same size that's another uh tally in the aesthetically pleasing that's good i'll have to think about that i think that's the one we're gonna probably revisit we'll be like oh that one is really pretty and it's only eight dollars right whatever and this isn't a pretty games draft but i think in going for value you could be cutting corners Mm -hmm. it'd be reasonable to cut the aesthetics first so i think i like a game that's not too expensive that has very lovely aesthetics to it. Mm, no, that's great. It would never even occur to me. And now I think it's, but it's good. Like that's yeah. why different that's, people and yeah. you talk about stuff. Sorry, both here. Yep. Uh, so I think my, my last official pick mm-hmm. with a couple of honorable mentions is going to be code names. What I'm going to pick for $20. Oh, you can buy a new copy of code names. Yeah. I think you can get a lot of reach out of that game. Different people. You're trying to give clues to guess a series of words. It seems very unlikely that you would ever have the same combination of words because you have this uh, second deck to tell you which of the words out there you need to try to get the other person to guess. Um, it's pretty classic in the sense that like the rules are easy. You don't really need to relearn it every time. Uh, and I like that. I think that adds the replayability of it. Super fun for the most part. I know we don't play it as much as we used to on this, but we have a lot of games. I think yeah. for the masses, though, Code names, great go-to. $20, brand new. You'll probably find it used for half that. Yeah, and again, I feel like I'm saying this for all your picks, and I don't know how aware you already were of it. There's a pretty good online version of it, and it might even just be run by CGE. Like, it might not be a separate app or on a different service. It might just be them. I've seen online, I haven't actually like started a game of it before, and you can create teams, and I think you can like play again, digitally over, you know, with scattered, with people kind of scattered everywhere. So I think I have done that like when it was full pandemic. Yeah. I think a couple of times. Yeah. Another great way to, I, we're talking about value and you said so much about like, well, you know, I played this game on VGA and then I've also bought it. I've played it so many times. Replayability ends up being huge and even just liking enough to keep it. 
So it's always a bit of a bummer if you buy a game and either you haven't played it, maybe you did watch reviews and all that kind of stuff and did some research, but that's still, you have to invest some time before you really buy it and own it to get the value out of it. Being able to try things out now on Board Game Arena, on these individual kind of one-off ways that you can try it, either whether they're a free app like Wavelength or the website for code names, being able to try it out first really helps the value of you not buying a game that you've heard you might kind of like and then you get there and you're like oh I hate this or just I don't I don't think this was actually worth the money that I spent on it so again reviews and things like that can address a lot of that but it's still it's still not necessarily the same and if you want to watch a full playthrough of something without ever playing it yourself that may also not be the same when you actually get into it so I definitely like using these digital resources now to be able to preview games the same way you would. If it was a video game, you can buy a demo first before you buy the whole game. It's kind of the same thing. It's a reasonable thing to do with your money. And how many games are on BGA? Tabletopia. Depending on your viewpoint on such things, Tabletop Simulator. There's so many things you can try. And I know for sure that our collection changed so much when we started doing more of those digital games, not only because I got to play things that I wouldn't have played otherwise and try them out and like them. I also better understood the type of board games that I liked or that would be good to play with the people that I usually play. So I started making better board game purchases because I was able to experience those other titles. So there's even a value to playing a game digitally and not liking it at all then you kind of see a similar game. You're like, oh, I know I won't like that. Or I know I won't enjoy playing that with my group because we've tried that kind of game before. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And the way we we learned so many games during that time period. And then I learned it mostly by video. I think most Mm -hmm. of us learned it by video. Mm -hmm. And then they're making references to other games as well. So I felt like our knowledge base expanded even in that sense of how we were learning about the game or learning to play the game they call back to some other game or it's like yes. this thing. We're like, well, if we like this, let's go check out that thing. Yes. And so it just spider webs out into 4 million games. Yeah, because being attracted to a cover, you say they can't judge books by them and you can't judge games by them either. It might look really amazing and fun and cool when you're in the game store and it has this presence and maybe they've even featured it in a way that really draws your eye towards it. But yeah, when you get that bigger context... And you start to learn a little more about, there's so many options. If you just walk into a game store, there's so many options. It's not a horrible idea to just buy the thing that's on clearance and try that out and see how it goes. I very much am shopping the clearance section. I did it yesterday at the board game store. But even then you just become a better shopper and then you're just going to get more satisfaction out of all of it when you realize, oh, I can decide that I don't like this entire category of games and there's still a ton of things for me to play. It's not like you have to like all of it to find enough to play. You can say, I only want to do rolling rights and boy, you're going to be busy. Here's 4,000 games. Yeah. They're going to be small. (laughs) You're going to be able to play them with one to 99 friends. Usually (laughs) you're going to have a great time. And one more thing I want to mention as we're talking about value gaming If I don't really like a dinged up box, Aaron, um, 
in the back of he we had games in the back of the car and they kind of like fell out of the bag they were in i think it was lost cities and something else like completely impacted the back of the game completely ruined the box and i was like well i'm gonna need a new game it did not change the game itself i'm personally don't like a dented up box i am looking for both aesthetics and function here however you can on Game Nerds for sure, as well as Fun Again Games, and I think other board game websites, they have a ding and dent. So you can search ding and dent and their names. You'll, you know, Google will take you to the appropriate page. And they will have usually new games that are discounted just because they have some kind of dent or ding in the box. It is an amazing way to look for games. A lot of times that ding or dent, when you think about your games on a shelf, you won't see it. You won't know. And sometimes even taking the game out, I've gotten a game on ding and dent before because I was like, it was just really expensive. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to get it. This is such a good value. And it didn't look any worse than what gets shipped to my house anyway, sometimes as a new game where like a corner gets like a bit crushed or something like that. I would definitely recommend looking at that. I saw Coffee Trader, which is an expensive game. And it's like an expensive Euro game. It is $70 on Ding and Dit. And I want to think that at the game store, it's $120. So already it was probably maybe 90 online because already game, the physical game store to an online game store, the online game stores are cheaper. But 70 is, I mean, approaching half of what I'd seen it listed for and i'm like i don't know the msrp off the top of my head but there are lots of options in the ding and dent category castles of burgundy for 40 dollars. that's the new edition underwater cities for 48 and it can be as high as like 70 into deep right now 35 these prices are from fun again games i have the into deep i tell you it's just like when you watch a movie And you get to the point and they say the title and you're like, oh, they did the thing. (laughs) That is exactly how playing Into Deep was with Aaron and I. You get to the end and you kind of, you have to resolve because you're kind of dabbling in crime. And it's like, did I get too deep into the crime to kind of get my way out? And at the end of the game, we were like, because you you don't want to be, you don't necessarily want to be in too deep. And if you think the other person is, you're like, I'm good. I can be more corrupt there. They're corrupt as anything. We got to the end of the game and Aaron's like, well, you have to be more corrupt. And I was like, oh, these are all zeros. And he's like, oh, I'm in too deep. <laughs> it's a great time. So that one's on Ding and Dent for only 35. So looking for that, using the Geek Market on Board Game Geek, which is listed on a game's page. If you kind of scroll down, you can see the Geek Market prices or go there individually using kind of used resources. These are other ways to get a game for a good value, even if it otherwise maybe is a little outside that maybe the regular MSRP seems a little high for what's in there, or maybe you don't think you'll get a ton of replay value out of it, but you're interested in trying it out using those kind of resources to get a game for a little cheaper. I don't think any of those ding and dent options and usually none of the used ones, I would think unless it says differently actually impact the gameplay. When you actually take the game out of the box and playing it, you're not looking at whether it's dinged or dented. Something I have to keep reminding myself. That's fair. I'm the same way, though. I don't usually have a lot of destroyed items. No, no. And it doesn't actually, I think it is good for people like us to exist because it's creating this message that like, oh, a a damaged box means a less valuable game, which is kind of stupid. Like, it's not logical 
that the the price of the game should come down by this much just because the box is damaged. But this aesthetic value that I'm talking about, like, oh, yeah, I'm pretty much an adherent to it. It is what allows you to get a copy of Scythe for $62 instead of $100 because right, of- we're not only the only ones creating a secondary market, but, you know. <laughs> like, you're welcome. Like, I told Aaron last time we recorded, I was like, I'll just throw away a party game if everyone's like eating wings or something while we're playing. Right. Like, I'm just I'm not right. keeping that. Right. So. It's just over. And that is more legitimate than, I don't know, the box is torn. Give me $10 right. off. It's like everything's inside the box. When you play it, you're not even going to use the box. Unless it's this Dice Forge. And even then, it probably still fits. Right. It's just that tissue paper. The tissue paper's tore. It's not even the thing that matters. Right. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm going to need a new one. So, yeah, it's, it's weird that that is a thing, but use it to your advantage. I got a used game that the box was messed up, and I don't know how I feel about it, but what I did do was tape it, play it anyway. The game played fine. So, oh, nice. you know, you kind of got to yeah. take that for what it's worth. I, I have a couple honorable mentions, I think, that were not please, on my actual list. Please, let's close with honorable mentions. Boggle. I don't want to actually pick it because it's Boggle. Yeah. But I think that's got to be the most indestructible game in the world, right? You're just shaking things thing in is, that. That container's right. going to last forever. Yes. The dice are the thickest, most dense dice you'll ever have in your they life. They are. It is ones. so loud. You can't quietly play a game of Boggle. No. And why would you want to? That's half the fun, <laughs> right? Of waking up the entire neighborhood yeah. when you play Boggle. <laughs> I thought that like for as far as just a game that will last forever. As long yeah. as you don't lose the parts. Yeah. That's up there. And then I had Catan on my list. I didn't pick it. Okay. Because the reason I had on my had it on my list was, I, I think if we look at the reach of a game, could be the value. A lot of people know yeah. how to play Catan and right. will play Catan with you. Now, you and I don't really live in that world. Me probably more than you as far as just playing games with random loose people. strangers. That's true. I'll, I know more than you. But if you're going to games like Catan, Ticket to Ride, you're mm -hmm. going to be able to play it more often. Therefore, it's going to have more value. Right. Because more people know how to play it. And I honestly think you picked Boggle, which is uh, kind of the Milton Bradley Parker Brothers area. I don't think those are necessarily bad board games. I think for them to reach what they are, they're not necessarily bad. So I think you could say that those are a very good value. They've also usually been trying to see, like, how can we make this game for cheaper? Yep. We mentioned Taboo before. We got a copy where they took out the buzzer. I think this was mentioned on another episode. Yeah, and it had a dog, a dog squeak toy in it. And it's yeah. like, I get that this is the same thing and it doesn't matter, but I hate it. And so you said that a newer version had a different component missing, but had the buzzer back in it. And I think they are trying to drive these classics because they're producing it on such a massive scale. They can get better value that way. And in trying to pull down the components... Now, does that feel good for replayability? We were just talking about quality of components. I don't know. But I think they also aren't inherently a bad value. I think, I don't know. I don't uh, yeah, think I it's think the only like games that, you should have. But. I think they're, you could find them used at yeah. garage sales, a place like that. Yeah, and really, will. for Taboo, if it's missing three cards, who you'll, cares? You'll never, never know. know. You'll never know. I dare so you. If it has some cards... <laughs> A good old-fashioned buzzer yeah. and the plastic part that holds the cards, you can open a box and know it's all there. 
you are never opening a box of some of these no. modern games no. and knowing all the parts are there. And it might matter a lot. Even when you open the box and look at them, I got a copy of Flip Ships. I opened it. I looked at everything and I'm like, well, there's a stack of cards. There's this, there's that. It looks good. And then I found out that there was a type of card that just wasn't in there. And it wasn't until I set the whole game up to play it and then realized like, oh, just this is missing. So yeah. yes, it's way harder. When you look in that boggle, you'll be like, oh, it's missing a letter cube. And honestly, you can still play Boggle. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, it doesn't actually, your scores, right. you could argue that your top score is gonna be maybe a little lower, but you can It's still like play. a video game. You're just picking expert mode, right? Instead yeah. of, you know, medium. Yeah. That's all you're doing. Yeah, get good, is the idea. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to episode 93. Be sure to subscribe to know when new episodes drop. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Twitch at Variant Hex. We have a website and a blog at VariantHex.com, and you can email us at podcast at VariantHex.com. We'd love to hear your ideas about best value games on any of the platforms we just mentioned. Now, when you visit those platforms, it may look like we've abandoned them, and fair point. We're part-time creators who always have more plans than time. The cover for this episode is a couple games that I just got on clearance at my local game store, and being inspired by this recording, one of them has a big ol' hole in the front of it. The next episode will be our Board Games of the Month for January, unless you're listening to these in reverse, in which case you have 92 more episodes headed your way, the next one being our first thematic games episode all about Harry Potter. And that's all for now. Thank you so much for spending your time with us today. <laughs>